The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome to America's Web Radio. This is Ron Bachman, and you're listening to Healthcare Insight. Today, I want to talk about the health of the country in terms of religious freedoms. The Supreme Court's been hearing some cases and is in the process of ruling on a case relative to Christianity and the ability for a football coach, Coach Kennedy, to stand in the middle of a field after a football game and give praise to the Lord that nobody got hurt, to give praise to the Lord for an honest, competitive environment where kids can get together and enjoy competition, or whatever he's praying in silence, and whether that's a cause for firing the coach because he insists that it is his religious right. We'll hear about that case in a few minutes, and it has yet to be ruled on by the Supreme Court, but it will be ruled on when the Supreme Court ends on June 30th. So by that time or shortly thereafter, we'll have a ruling on that case. You know, Christianity has been under fire for a long time in terms of limiting what we can do, how we can do, what we can say, and where we can say it. And a lot of people would like, because we've got such a diverse country of various religions, including atheists and Satanists or Wiccaners or whatever, that we don't want to offend anybody, so that our Judeo-Christian beliefs, our Judeo-Christian foundations, many of our families came to the United States way back when our country even existed or shortly thereafter because of religious persecutions that were occurring in their home countries. We have Christianity, or at least a belief in a higher being throughout our country, whether it's carvings on the Supreme Court, whether it's the Ten Commandments that's being displayed uh, in government um, buildings, whether it's the opening of our Congress with a prayer. So I want to talk about a small victory, or so it seems, but one that actually uh, was a conflict that went to the Supreme Court and just ruled on this week. I want to read the report on that because it's so important that at least a glimmer of hope exists. That's the Supreme Court. The current makeup of the Supreme Court might stop this continuing alienation and separation of our religious beliefs in the public square. Now, nobody has been arguing ever under any of these restrictions that have been put in by the Supreme Court over many decades, nobody is arguing that we ought to allow the government to have an official religion. We don't want to be a theocracy. We don't want to be an Iran. We don't want to be a government that is ruled under a recognized, supported, promoted religious belief. We have a country that has many beliefs in it, and they need to be fully appreciated and recognized for that diversity. But Christianity has been under fire in this country for a long time. And it's almost as if people would want Christians just to go away 
not to have any religion, have a purely, not just secular government, but a non-religious government in the sense that the only religion allowed would be a secular religion that believed in government itself. I mean, that's, after all, what many on the liberal side want. That, that's their own religion is a non-religion where they have the power and they give all the rules and regulations. They want to ignore the fact that our Declaration of Independence says that our rights were created by a creator, that we are granted rights by our creator, which is a god. So let's talk about this most recent case that's gone on, and that is that the Supreme Court has just ruled unanimously, which is amazing to me, unanimously, that a program of the city of Boston that allows outside groups to fly flags at the city hall must permit the flying of a flag with a cross and a camp referred to as a Christian flag. In other words, it's entitled a Christian flag. The question before the court was whether the flying of the flag as part of a government program was considered government speech. If the flag belonged to a private organization, in this case, Camp Constitution. The Supreme Court ruled just recently, again, this is a brand new case, just just ruled on this week by the Supreme Court, that that is not government speak. And that's the issue that so many trying to marginalize any kind of religious speech and certainly marginalize the Christian speech is saying that what's called the Establishment Clause, that there's a belief that the government cannot do anything that will establish religion, and so that any kind of mention or any kind of presentation is considered the government establishing a religion. And that's just so far extreme from reality, but it is a process that we have gone down this slippery slope in previous constitutional rulings. And this kind of reverses that to a very small extent, because it says with most Supreme Court decisions, it rules on a very specific small segment of the case that's brought to it. So the Supreme Court ruled in this case, and I'll quote, We conclude that on balance, Boston did not make the raising and flying of private groups flags a form of government speech. That was a comment from Justice Pryor. The Boston case argued that the flying of the flag was government speech because it was on a city's flagpole. Indeed, the the pole is normally used to fly the flag of Boston when it is not in use for this particular program that they set up. And during the oral arguments, the city's attorney noted that the city's website says we commemorate flags of many countries and our goal is to foster diversity, which would indicate that the city's decision to fly the flags in order to promote this message. The attorney general argued that during the oral arguments that the city's policy specifically used the phrase public forum, which would indicate that the flags would be an expression of private speech of the group that applied for it, the Christian group. In the court's opinion, Breyer recognized that there was evidence on both sides. He made clear that if this was government speech, Boston would have been within its rights to deny the camp's application to fly the flag. 
The First Amendment's free speech clause does not prevent the government from declining to express a view. When government wishes to state an opinion, to speak for the community to facilitate policies or to implement policies and programs, it naturally chooses what to say and what not to say. That must be true for government to work. In cases like this, where a government invites people to participate in a program, Breyer continued, the boundary between government speech and private expression can blur. So he's recognizing that it's not always clear cut. In order to decide whether speech like the flag program is government or private speech, Breyer said the court has to take a holistic approach that looks at the context of the situation. In the past, he said, the court has looked at history, the likely public perception of the speech, and the extent to which government has actively shaped or controlled that expression. In this ruling from the Supreme Court, Breyer was taking the lead. He stated, again, that the general history of flag flying would support Boston, but that this is our only, only our starting point before looking at the history of this particular flag flying program. Addressing public perception, Breyer said, that the circumstantial evidence does not tip the scale in this particular case. He said that while the public might ordinarily associate a flag's message with Boston, that may not be the case here because the Boston city flag is regularly lowered so that others can be raised in accordance with the program. The raising of the private flags is often accompanied by a ceremony by the private group without any kind of government support for raising that flag. So finally, Breyer says the court looked at the degree to which the city government controlled the raising of the flags and their messages. The answer, it seems, is not at all. And that is the most salient feature of this case. The court's opinion pointed to how Boston and their goal is to accommodate all applicants looking to hold events in the city's public forums, including City Hall Plaza, where the flag flying application only asks for contact information and a short description of the event being requested. Breyer noted that the city employee who fields flag applications testified that before Camp Constitution's application, he had never even asked to see a flag before granting approval or even before they were raised. The city's practice was to approve flag raisings without exception, Breyer wrote. Upon concluding the flag program was not government speech, Breyer next turned to the question of whether denying the application, the Christian flag application, was viewpoint discrimination that violated the First Amendment. In a brief analysis, the court ruled that it was. So Boston had acknowledged that they had denied the application because of its religious content due to their belief that would have been government speech. Let me interject here. This is important. Too many organizations, whether they are government entities, schools that are considered government entities, everything that they do, we are so sensitive about separation of church and state that they consider almost anything government speech. So, Breyer next turned to that question of whether 
denying that application was a viewpoint discrimination, and he said that it was. So Boston had acknowledged that they had denied the application because of its religious content due to the belief that it would, would have been government speech. Once the court decided that there was no government speech involved, that spelled the end of the day of the city's case. So under precedence and in view of our government speech holding here, that refusal discriminated based on their religious viewpoint and violated the first speech clause Breyer wrote. Now, the most amazing thing about this case and the findings is first, it specifically says that when you allow everybody else to raise a flag, it is clearly discriminatory to not allow a Christian group to raise a flag that has anything to do with a support of their religious beliefs. That was the only thing here involved. Everybody else is allowed to do something, but when it comes to faith-based flag, that was disallowed by the city, only because they continue to either purposely or unintentionally misread previous Supreme Court rulings about what's typically referred to as the Establishment Clause. In other words, that they cannot do anything religious because somebody looking at that state or city flagpole would say, oh, there's a religious flag up there, therefore the government is promoting a certain religious belief. Well, I hope the audience listening in here can see that Supreme Court decisions have been have had a chilling effect on religious expression in the public space. This would have been an obvious no question that you can fly that flag except for the oversensitivity of liberals in control of many of our government programs or the ignorance of many of those people. So what I want to do is the rest of this hour is get into this next case that's currently been heard by the Supreme Court and let's find out if we can now pray in public as well as fly a flag in public. Please stay with us. We'll be right back after this commercial break. Veteran-owned, America's Web Radio would like to thank all of our incredible patrons. We wouldn't be able to do this without you. If you are not already a patron, you can help us continue to produce some of the most informative and entertaining shows on the Internet by becoming a patron. Patrons of America's Web Radio are the first to receive information about new shows and links to the latest podcast episodes. Join now and receive a free gift while supplies last. For more information and to join our family, please visit www.patreon.com slash America's Web Radio. If you have questions, contact us at gm at americaswebradio.com. And as always, thank you for listening. If you love classic cars, you're going to want to listen to the Classic Car Show with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello on America's Web Radio, live every Saturday at 8 a.m. Eastern at americaswebradio.com or on demand on your favorite podcast app. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. We're going to continue with the Supreme Court decisions about religion. We just talked about uh, flying a Christian flag over Boston that the Supreme Court said was totally legal. It did not violate what some call the Establishment Clause, that you can't establish a uh, connection between religion and government, and the fact that they were doing it for everybody else means that they can't exclude religion just because it's religious. 
so there is no um, connection back to the government, to the city of Boston. And that was a good win for Christian um, expression in the public place, along with everybody else who's able to express their views or show their flags or show their faith in um, the public square. I want to turn now to a case that was just heard by the Supreme Court, and the ruling on this case will likely take until late June when the Supreme Court ends this current session, or sometimes the rulings come shortly thereafter. But this is a case called Kennedy versus Bremerton High School. And the case here I want to outline, and you're going to hear a lot of different words in these presentations. I want to actually let you hear the actual questions and responses that occurred during the Supreme Court. I'm not going to make this a legal presentation, but very much want to slice and dice some of the areas and explain. So as a layman, I could understand it, and hopefully the audience here will find it of interest because it affects your daily life. If you have um, a Christian faith yourself or any faith, you want to be able to share that in the public with our our freedom of speech and our religious rights as ensconced in the uh, First Amendment, uh, uh, the Bill of Rights. So it's critical that this issue gets solved right because we have been eliminating faith and religion from the public square, from our lives. Some people want to just put it aside because they don't have any faith and they want us to just do it in some church far away or in some prayer room someplace where nobody can see or hear us. So I want to boil this down. There's going to be a lot of issues that we can talk about. You're going to hear some words like the Establishment Clause, like coercion, like freedom of speech. Uh, there'll be a number of terms, but at the end of the day, what this is really about is an employment contract where Coach Kennedy was fired because he expressed his religious beliefs after a game, uh, and he'd been doing this for many years, uh, in the middle of the 50-yard line of a football uh, stadium field. So he was fired for that. And so some of these other issues obviously interplay in any kind of legal case. The lawyers always try to make it sound complicated. Uh, but at the end of the day, the question is, can you fire uh, an employee, in this case a school teacher, coach, because he was publicly sharing uh, his faith? And was that inappropriate or not? But I want to turn to a reporter from uh, uh, Reuters to explain the case in just a few short minutes so that everybody can be on the same page before we start to listen to the actual uh, questions and answers from the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court heard the oral arguments in Kennedy v. Bremerton on Monday. The case involves former Bremerton High School assistant football coach Joe Kennedy. He was placed on paid leave once he continued to pray at the 50-yard line after being warned against it. The former coach believes this was a violation of his freedom of speech. The school district, however, is arguing that his actions are classified as government speech and not protected by the First Amendment. So, audience, just listen to the actual presentation in a few selected segments I want to pull out. Here is the lawyer for Coach Kennedy explaining that his private speech cannot, should not be connected to the government in any way just because he's an employee of the school, that his private speech First Amendment rights stand regardless 
of the fact that he has been hired by a school. When Coach Kennedy took a knee at midfield after games to say a brief prayer of thanks, his expression was entirely his own. That private religious expression was doubly protected by the free exercise and free speech clauses. When the school district fired him for that fleeting religious exercise out of endorsement concerns, it not only violated the First Amendment, but it it ignored a veritable wall of this court's precedents that make clear that a school does not endorse private religious speech. Are you sure that the uh, case is built around the idea that Kennedy was, in fact, fired for that uh, midfield uh, praying that he did. Is that what the firing document uh, states? The record is clear that Coach Kennedy was fired for that midfield prayer. And the record is equally clear that the district's sole reason for its actions was out of endorsement concerns. Okay, um, so as lawyer for Mr. Kennedy, what you're saying is his case boils down. He was fired from the school misinterpreting the establishment clause, if you will, that his doing a prayer at midfield during a or after a football game uh, was reflective of the school's position on religion. And you're saying that that is an inappropriate interpretation of the establishment clause, which tries to create a barrier between uh, church and state, if you will, where the state in this case is the school and Tell us a little bit about the details of the firing offense. Apparently, there were there were two instances where the school specifically identified the problems that they saw that the coach was taking certain actions that resulted in his firing. So let's just focus on those two instances that the school says were problematic. At the first of those games, it is undisputed that no one joined the coach in his prayer. Nonetheless, that solo prayer was Exhibit A in his firing. Exhibit B was the October 26th game, when no players joined him in the prayer. Yet nonetheless, the district throughout this case, both contemporaneously and to the EEOC and in deposition, has confirmed that the sole driving force behind its actions has been avoiding endorsement. The government does not endorse all private religious speech just because it takes place on the school side of the gates. Justice Clarence Thomas, as the uh, longest-serving member of the Supreme Court, always gets to ask the first question. So let's listen to the clarifying question from um, uh, Justice Thomas about what this case is really all about and what the defenders of, of Coach Kennedy are really trying to do with this case. After all, they lost in the uh, Ninth Circuit Court And that's what brought it to the Supreme Court. So now he's trying to defend his client, um, Coach Kennedy, and Justice Thomas is trying to be clear on exactly what he's trying to defend. Um, Mr. Clement, just so I'm clear, are you pursuing uh, below you had a free exercise claim and you had a uh, free speech claim? Uh, which are you pursuing? Are you pursuing both now, or are you pursuing them separately, or is this a sort of a hybrid claim argument you're making? So, Justice Thomas, we are pursuing them both. They're both fully preserved in this court, but I do think you're right in the sense that this is a hybrid-type case in which the free speech clause and the free exercise clause reinforce each other. 
And I think it directly enforces how, it reinforces how the court should approach the case. Because when a government acts not because it's trying to maintain discipline in the school or maintain order or avoid disruption, but it is taking action precisely because the speech is religious and the school fears endorsement concerns. So now we're getting into the idea of can a coach uh, exercise his free rights to religion and to his free speech um, if it's part of his job and he's now bringing religion into his job. So the next critical issue, and listen to this little bit of interchange between Justice Thomas and the lawyer for Kennedy about was this or was this not uh, time on his job that was required and therefore the uh, school can say, no, you can't say that because you're uh, sort of on the clock for the school, therefore you're representing the school. Well, we know it's not a part of his job, uh, especially since the school district didn't know anything about it initially and it objected to it, so it can't be a part of his job. Well, that's music to my ears, Justice Thomas, and I would say even beyond that, we know it's not part of his job duties for at least two other reasons. First of all, his job duty was not some all-encompassing responsibility for the players after the final whistle blew because the record is clear that he was able to have a private conversation, greet a spouse, and do things like that. But we'd also say because it's not part of his job, it's private religious activity that's protected by the free exercise Okay, so we just heard the um, uh, the lawyer for Coach Kennedy make his case that this is about an employment contract and can you fire somebody for some religious statements they make, even if it's in the middle of a football field after a game. You'll notice at the end of that interchange that uh, Justice Sotomayor wanted to jump in. Keep in mind as you listen to this broadcast today that – the justices are not trying to convince the lawyers of their right or wrongness of their arguments. They're hired to make the case however they make it. The justices, in essence, are talking to each other through the lawyer and trying to make the case that they'll ultimately make in private in judging this uh, and voting on this case. So Sotomayor jumps in to try to counter and give Justice Thomas something else to think about because she senses that he's going to be in support of Coach Kennedy. So let's listen to the hypothetical that she puts forward and then the response or reaction from Coach Kennedy's lawyer. A, a teacher begins each of her classes with a silent prayer and an audible prayer. Now, when I say begin, bell rings. Students are coming in, they sit down, teacher says the prayer privately or publicly. Is that within her duties as a teacher? I would think so, Justice Sotomayor. Clearly, as a liberal judge, Justice Sotomayor um, wants to rule against the coach. And so she's putting up a hypothetical that trying to get the lawyer to say, yeah, well, you can pray anytime. And he says, no, uh, she's now on the clock for the school. The bell is rung. And it's clear that she is not, uh, it's not appropriate for her to be um, reading the Bible or preaching to the kids in any way. So now Justice Sotomayor is going to change the uh, hypothetical to ask about what if it's uh, before uh, the bell rings. Before the bell. Is it the bell that makes it within the time or not within the time? Well, I would say the bell is what makes your first hypothetical a relatively straightforward one. 
as to your second hypotheticals, because I think there's two things there. I think if the, if, the, if the teacher were before the bell reading her Bible at her desk, either silently or barely audibly, that would be private speech. That would be protected. If before the bell, but while the students are all there, she's reading out loud to the class, um, I think that's, that's kind of the, the edge case. I hope this audience is listening to the nuances that come up in a legal case and how one set of justices who may be in support uh, initially, at least, or their presumption is to support Coach Kennedy in this case, uh, ask a certain type of question. And then people who are on the liberal side who are trying to set up a case against it will ask very different questions. But that's good. That helps us to sort of outline uh, the whole case in a little bit more uh, perspective uh, to arrive at a good conclusion. But I think at the end of the day, you're going to find that these hypotheticals really aren't even a part of the case. So let's take a quick break, and we're going to come back with more of the actual uh, Supreme Court uh, presentation and my commentary on it. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. If you want the truth about politics, medicine, weapons, classic cars, and more, you'll want to tune in to America's Web Radio. You can listen to all of your favorite shows live at www.americaswebradio.com or on demand on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. That's www.americaswebradio.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. Today we're talking about the Supreme Court case of Coach uh, Kennedy versus uh, the school system of Bremerton and whether or not the coach can go to the middle of the field after a football game and say a prayer uh, out loud, silently, um, not keeping players from him. Uh, we've heard from uh, Justice Thomas and we've heard from Justice Sotomayor uh, let's listen in this segment. Let's start this off by listening to Chief Justice Roberts and his take on setting up a scenario to try to tease out what this case is really all about and whether or not there's some line that the Supreme Court can draw between government speak and private speak. Uh, Mr. Clement, what if the, the activity uh, on the field did not consist of this kneeling down briefly, but something more uh, uh, extensive, standing up on the 50-yard line, you know, arms outstretched, uh, engaging in audible prayer, praying to God? So if he's not, if there's not an instructional component to, if the players are, 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 you know, doing their own thing in the end zone, for example, then I think it really becomes what the school is, is, is able to have a neutral rule. And this was part of my answer to one, the, another component of Justice Sotomayor's question, which is the, the school has a fair amount of flexibility to determine what the duties of the coach are. Here, they did not say that his duties were an all-encompassing supervisory role. 
And I suppose if the school district had one coach whose whole job was to watch those kids after the bell like a hawk and make sure they didn't get into any trouble, even a brief religious exercise by that individual might be inconsistent with their neutral job duties and a basis for the school to do something. But here, uh, it's, it's in the record and I think undisputed that the, that the coach could do other things, other private things of a comparable amount of time. Because this is a fleeting religious exercise. Even the school district described it as fleeting. Okay, I want our audience now to listen to this next argument from Justice Breyer, who again is probably going to vote against Kennedy, and he's talking to the other justices on the bench up there, trying to give an example or explain to them why uh, the coach was on duty and that the school was trying to be accommodative to him as best that they can. Let's listen to Justice Breyer in this next segment. The district said to Kennedy, well, you cannot engage in demonstrative religious conduct while you are on duty for the district, okay? But if it's not going to be perceived as district endorsement, we'll accommodate it. For example, pray privately or inside the school building or on the athletic facility somewhere or in the press box. And you can do that before or after games. And the development of accommodation is an ongoing process, and we will discuss further accommodations. Now, let's go back to Sotomayor, who's hearing all these good explanations of how when you're not on government time, you're not on the school time, that you can speak and pray and read the Bible and all those things on your own time. And the lawyer for Kennedy saying, if it's on school time, he's not allowed to do that. So let's go back to her, and she tries to clarify that, but that's not going to be good enough for her. She wants to push it to another uh, level. But let's just hear first sort of the um, um, that they violently agree on something as Sotomayor tries to sort of get that behind her and then move on to something else. That you're not contesting the right of the school district to discipline uh, Coach Kennedy if he had been praying during the official, if you will, post-game talk. I, I think that's right. We don't, I mean, we, we don't take an issue with that. He so, so that's that like practice. if he were praying, uh, if he were a math teacher and he uh, uh, prayed in math class, same if he's a coach and he prays during the post-game talk. Uh, that the school can discipline him for. That's right, because it would be government speech. Just briefly, why? Let me step in here before Sotomayor makes her case of what she's trying to do. You'll notice that she's getting away from, okay, if he's on the job, he can't um, uh, pray. But now she's saying basically if he's not on the job, he also can't pray, and she's going to give a hypothesis as to why that is the case, and she's going to move it from a religious free speech to an idea of coercion. Well, if that's the standard, then anything anybody does who's in a level of of leadership, a coach, a teacher, a principal, that even in their own time, they can't uh, have any faith. So again, it's this idea, let's just push them off into a little room where they can pray or read the Bible, but we don't want to hear about it in the public square. So let's listen to this uh, very uh, liberal perspective of religion that's trying to stop religion 
from you and me uh, practicing our own faith. And I'm going to just sort of suggest and, and, and find out whether you agree that if you look at our prayer cases, the idea of why the school can discipline him is that that puts a kind of undue pressure, a kind of coercion on students to participate in religious activities when they may not wish to, when their religion is different or when they have no religion. In thinking about these questions, which is coercion on students and having students feel that they have to join religious activities that they do not wish to join, that their parents do not wish them to join. Notice that the justices like Sotomayor in opposition to um, faith-based freedoms is now bringing in a coercion theory to stop somebody from saying anything because somebody might, somebody might feel that they have to go along to get along or that they're going to get a starting uh, job, that they're going to be promoted in class, that they're going to be recognized as being outstanding just because they're in agreement with the faith of the coach in this case. So let's listen to the lawyer's response uh, to that sort of, in my mind, quite honestly, ridiculous extension of limiting uh, religious freedoms. This is not a case where the government took action because of coercion concerns. The record is crystal clear that they were concerned about endorsement. Yeah. So if the justices can't settle on freedom of speech and, and freedom of religion and uh, uh, it's already accepted that he can't do that on school time, but he can do it on his own private time. And private time is not just after uh, the bell rings at the end of the day, but throughout the day there are times. And after the football game, there are times when the school admits that he's not on school time. He can do anything he wants during those periods of time. The justices are trying to find a way to say, no, he doesn't have free speech during that period of time. So they go to this coercion argument. But Now they're going to try to talk about, well, why does he do it at midfield? Isn't that uh, inappropriate that he does it at midfield? Who says he has to do it at midfield, and why does he do it at midfield? So here's the lawyer's response to that particular line of questioning. His his religious beliefs, he felt compelled to to make his prayer there, and I don't think there's anything unusual about that. I mean, if a, if a soccer player scores a goal, the soccer player will do a religious exercise or Tim Tebow scores uh, a, a touchdown. They do the religious exercise there. They're, they're spectators watching it, but that doesn't, that's not what's driving the religious exercise. What's driving the religious exercise is that's where the event that the religious adherent is thankful for took place. Is if you tell a kid that is about to kick the potential game-winning field goal, that they can't cross themselves on the field in front of 50,000 or 1,000. Um, but what they can do, don't worry, you can, you can go in, you can rush up to the press box, we'll put the whole thing on hold, you can do it in our prayer booth where nobody can see you, and then you can come down and kick the field goal. Nobody thinks that's sensible. And the one thing I would point out is the very fact that the accommodations that were offered by the school district were to leave the field and go somewhere else and do your prayer and come back demonstrates beyond all doubt that he did not have all-encompassing supervisory responsibilities after the game. Sure, he was on duty in a loose sense, but he was not on duty in a real sense or they would not have given him those accommodations. So now that the uh, justices who would be against Kennedy have gone down this rabbit hole and tried to extend to this whole issue uh, to focus on coercion, trying to confuse that with other 
uh, legal issues that are well established. Coercion uh, does not seem to be one of those. The the Justice uh, Gorsuch comes back and tries to say, well, now let's take a look at the actual filing because this is an employment issue. On what basis did they fire uh, just uh, uh, Kennedy, Coach Kennedy? Why did they fire him? What did they say was the reason they fired him? Was it coercion? Was it something else? So let's listen to the response and the interaction with um, Justice Gorsuch. I think it is very clear on what motivated the district. And it was endorsement, 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 endorsement again. Not, look, not coercion. Not coercion. If you look at their first letter after the October 16th game, um, Joint Appendix page 90 to 95, there are eight references to endorsement or endorsing, zero references to either coercion or player safety. If you look at their letter to the EEOC, which is around Joint Appendix page 130, there are, again, eight references to endorsement and endorsing, no references to coercion. So it is clear what motivated their policy. Many school districts today are so intimidated by what the Supreme Court has done. Talk about coercion. Uh, they are afraid of this um, uh, uh, separation of church and state, the exclusionary clause that uh, keeps coming up in previous cases. So let's hear what our lawyer says should be the response to try to eliminate this uh, misinterpretation, misunderstanding of the um, exclusion clause. So I, I think the fact that school districts continue to make this mistake, even though you have said over and over and over again that tolerating private religious speech is not endorsement, is an excellent, excellent reason to be as emphatic as possible in overruling endorsement cases. But what, what continues to happen is that there is overt discrimination on the basis of religion, as is evidenced in the record here, by school districts who aren't evil. It's just they're doing it out of misguided endorsement concerns. And I think the time has come to be as clear as possible to make clear that that's not a proper part of Establishment Clause analysis. As you wrap up this uh, 15-minute segment, um, let's listen to the lawyer for Kennedy Given a specific example around how players would maybe take a knee, the coach take a knee and pray on the field, um, that would not be a problem with the Establishment Clause. And nobody's ever thought about that it should be challenged. So give us that example, please. Or think about what happens when a player gets injured on the field. I mean, it's common practice at all levels of the game, public school, private school. You take a knee. The coach takes a knee. The players take a knee. Many of them presumably are praying for the player's health. Some of them are not. Some of them are have their own religious traditions. But none of that is coercion, not in the real sense, and none of it violates the Establishment Clause. Well, I hope our audience out there is getting a good layman's understanding of what goes on behind the scenes in the Supreme Court on cases that on surface here, this is just an employment case. Was he fired appropriately or inappropriately? for saying a prayer at the 50-yard line. And in this case, it goes beyond that from the justice's perspective is what is freedom of religion? What is the freedom of speech that we actually have using this case? So its outcome, its decision is going to be very important to you and me out there in the audience thinking about what we can say and when we can say it, how we can say it, uh, and whether the government's going to come down on us for that. Well, let's get 
to a commercial break, and we'll come back and wrap up uh, this Supreme Court case in just a few minutes. If you have lost a loved one and were left with a firearms collection and are not sure how to dispose of them safely, or you may have firearms you no longer want, this message is for you. I am a licensed FFL firearms dealer in the state of Florida, specializing in estate firearm purchases. It is very important that all firearm transactions be handled according to state and federal laws. You can contact me for information at Firearm Liquidation Service at Outlook.com, or you can call or text me at 407-921-8100-247 and ask for James. Again, for information contact me at Firearm Liquidation Service at Outlook.com, or call or text me at 407-921-8100. All communications are strictly confidential. When it comes to car magazines, are you tired of reading about mega-dollar collector cars you can't afford, or endless reporting on auctions and how-to tech stories that don't interest you? Then Crankshaft is the car magazine for you. Crankshaft is a 144-page softcover quarterly filled with all sorts of fascinating stories, the type of car features you won't find anywhere else. It features American and foreign cars, pre- and post-war era cars of distinction including sports cars, muscle cars, and regular family sedans too. To discover what many car enthusiasts are saying is the best car magazine ever published, you can purchase either a single copy for $12.95 plus $3 postage, or a one-year subscription, four issues, for $59.95. To order your copy, go to www.crankshaftmagazine.com. That's www.crankshaftmagazine.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio and the final segment of this week's presentation on Supreme Court cases relative to religion. And the most important one that we're looking at right now is the case of Kennedy versus the high school at Barrington, uh, Washington. And the issue here is whether or not the coach has got free speech and religious rights to go to the middle of the field after the game, after the players are dispersing, after the audience is dispersing. There may be some people still around, some players still on the field, but does he have the right to go to the middle of the football field and give a prayer of thanks for the competition, for the players, for everybody being healthy? If there's been an injured player, to pray that that injured player is properly being taken care of if they've gone to the hospital or the infirmary or a clinic or whatever. So that is the case beforehand because the the coach was fired. So the issue is, is that a firing offense? And the argument is that it is both free speech and free expression of his religion. So let's listen to uh, Justice Barrett uh, sort of focus in on the idea of, okay, if it's free speech, who is he really talking to? Um, This is, as Justice Thomas asked you at the beginning, both the free exercise and free speech claim. Who is he communicating to? God? Like, where is this this speech? I, I, I think he is communicating to God. And so that would trigger the First Amendment protection. Under both the free be, speech clause and the free exercise clause. Well, I understand clause the free exercise part of it. But, you know, even if he's not communicating to an audience, so he's completely silent, he just takes the knee, that's protected speech, even if he's not trying to communicate to anyone around him, just to the Almighty. Absolutely. It's okay. expressive conduct it's or speech. So once again, I want our audience to listen to uh, Justice Barrett, uh, the newest member of the court, and uh, her analysis and hypothetical about the coercion concerns that some of the liberal justices have brought forward. So 
let's hear her hypothetical and uh, Coach Kennedy's uh, lawyer's response. Let's imagine that Coach Kennedy runs a young life group. And he has many players, you know, and many other kids in the school, but many of his players, because they really admired Coach Kennedy, come to his home for these young life meetings. And many of the concerns that Justice Kavanaugh is identifying are present. You know, a lot of the players come because they think they're going to get more playing time if they if they come and show up and participate in this Christian youth group. Um, I take it your position would be that that's entirely private speech, and even if there's a coercive component to it, that the school can have nothing to say? Well, I I think that if the school has a concern about that kind of uh, activity, after-school activity, wholly off the school grounds, I mean, I think the way, if it really had a concern with that, it could try to deal with it through some kind of neutral policy. But the one thing I think that's clear from this court's cases is that you can't have a prophylactic rule that says, you know, there might be some problems. And so the way we're going to solve the problem is to forbid a lot of protected speech. So at a certain point, the responsibilities of the school is to teach the important lesson that private speech is protected, even for teachers and coaches. Now, let's listen to the questions from the justices to the high school's lawyers and again, the first questioner for either side is Justice Thomas. So let's listen to Justice Thomas's hypothetical and trying to delve into this issue on what is public speak and what is private speak. Would if the uh, coach, uh, instead of taking a knee uh, for prayer, took a knee uh, during the national anthem uh, because of no moral opposition to racism, uh, would, how would the, your school district respond? Would that be government speech? Well, uh, well, Justice Thomas, if, for instance, the, court, uh, the coach goes to the center of the field uh, in front of everyone during the national anthem, absolutely that is government speech. How is uh, that government speech? The test for government speech is a functional test, not a formalistic one, uh, to determine whether the speech is pursuant to one's job. But what if Excuse the school district, as it did here, objected to that conduct before it took place? How could that be government speech? I'm it, it, normally when I think of government speech, the government has a message, uh, and someone is communicating that message. How would it be government speech if, as it's happened in this case, the government objected beforehand? A, a couple of responses, Your Honor. Uh, the first is that <clears throat> what the government speech test gets at uh, is, is the recognition that school districts uh, and other governmental entities have to be able to control their programs. If the motivation for uh, for that act, uh, uh, that act of protest against um, uh, police misconduct, is to uh, is political, that that political and religious speech have to be treated the same way. Way. And to have a different rule for for religious speech would be impermissible viewpoint discrimination. In this next interchange between the school's lawyer and the justices, uh, the school's lawyer tries to explain why things that uh, Coach Kennedy's lawyer said was private speech, that they're going to try to make the case that, no, it was public speak. And if it's public speech, then the religious um, question of his ability to say and follow his own religion or or to engage in uh, freedom of speech uh, comes under a different level of, of analysis. So let's 
listen to the lawyer for the school talk about why this is public speak. This wasn't after the students were dispersing in that letter saying, and students have to be able to join there too. It wasn't, uh, just, I'm sorry to interrupt, this wasn't, you know, huddle up team, you know, which is a common coach phrase. Uh, that wasn't this, right? Uh, no, but does the coach have to say that for the students to miss that? What Mr. Kennedy did uh, at that at that October 26th game is he he in a, in a ahead of time gave special permission to two legislators and some other people to come onto the field to have a prayer circle with him on the 50 yard line. Student, it was fully visible to students, and then as part of the arrangement was to turn around and have one of those state legislators address the team, which he did. Well, I hope our listeners out there that are still with us, and hopefully most are, that you can see how the Supreme Court has to look at a number of issues to try to determine what is the core of what's really going on here. And you can also see how lawyers can try to muddy up the water with a lot of extraneous issues and trying to bring in a lot of legalese and terminology that really doesn't make any sense or any need in terms of uh, true layman's basic understanding. And that's sort of what the court is really trying to do, sort of get rid of all the superfluous information that lawyers are presenting and get down to the facts. And this next interchange, this next questioning, this next commentary by Justice Alito really gets down to it, in my opinion, because at the core, this is sort of a simple employment contract. And can an employer just fire somebody because they did something religious that the school is afraid violates some constitutional uh, rule against separation of church and state, even if they have completely misunderstood that separation of state in the cases that Supreme Court's ruled on previously. So let's listen to this because it's critical to the overall case. It's an employment discrimination case. And what do we do in an employment discrimination case uh, where the employee says, I was unlawfully fired? We look at the employer's reason for the action that was taken. And if the reason that is given is an unlawful reason, then the employee wins. We don't say, well, you know, he did all sorts of other things before the event that the school district or whatever the employer uh, is said uh, was the reason for the termination. He did all sorts of other things. He could have been fired for all of that, all sorts of other things. We look at the reason that was given. What was the reason that you gave here? Although the re- reason in the last letter wa- was about religion uh, was about religion concerns, it isn't the case that the court l- looks only at the uh, only at the given reason. Uh, it's necessary to look at the whole record um, to determine whether whether a an employment action was improper, and that that goes for both the employer and the employee. And here there was uh, there was in, uh, an enormous pile of evidence that the school district acted on other concerns, safety of the students, control of its program and message, and the worry about the storming of the field. Now, notice for those listening to this that, again, the justices are really speaking to each other through the lawyer. The last exchange you just heard uh, from somebody who would be supportive of Coach Kennedy now has to be refuted by Justice Breyer, who is almost certain to vote for the school. So, Listen to how Justice Breyer uh, takes his case on the Establishment Clause and the separation of church and state 
and to speak being uh, uh, public speech, not private speech. We don't have to reach all these complicated issues Correct. either. Uh, we can simply say the question is uh, whether uh, just after the game, on the 50-yard line, the coach praying is sufficiently like the teacher praying between 9 and 9.15 in the morning that there is an establishment clause problem and that is a legitimate reason for bringing in discipline when it's not followed. So after all the back and forth, it really gets down to whether or not the coach going to the center of the field, kneeling down, saying a prayer that may not even be audible, is that private speech or is it government speech? And you can see the arguments on both sides and how the justices are likely to rule. Because of Justice Breyer's uh, comments sort of in response to Alito, Alito comes back and really nails it for his side in this last exchange that we'll go through about why it makes no sense if you try to get off of the core issue of separation of church and state and that this is not really separation of church and state, that this is a private speech. Now the other side is going to go to a center of attention argument, which makes absolutely no sense, as you'll hear in this last exchange. It's not audible to all the players, and so you're relying on it, I think, being visible. How far does that go? A you know, coach uh, does the sign of the cross right before the game. Uh, is that Could a school fire the coach for the sign of the cross right before the game? If the coach is doing it while not making himself the center of attention at the center of the field, it's perfectly fine. Well, the coach if is standing, instead, uh, standing, the team is out there, teams are out there, and the coach is visible to everyone and very publicly makes the sign of the cross. Can the school fire the coach for that? That one doesn't doesn't seem so hard if it is um, if it is the coach um, not making himself the center of attention, not not addressing I, I don't know. the team. Then it would be then it would be then it would be permissible, and it's and it's protected if it's not government speech. I don't know how we could write an opinion that would draw a line based on not making yourself the center of attention as the head coach of a game. Well, there you have it—a layman's view of what happened in the Supreme Court, cutting out all the legalese, all the case references, uh, shortening it dramatically to get down to the core and the essence of both sides. Uh, my view in reading the questions from the um, justices and reading their intent, I think that the uh, course case is going to come out on the side of Coach Kennedy and not try to limit religious speech even further than it's been limited in prior Supreme Court decisions. So I think this court is going to be divided on this case, but ultimately Coach Kennedy will be allowed to pray at center field uh, to 50-yard line after a game. So join us again next week as we'll talk about hot topics and issues on the health of our country, domestic, foreign policy, and every other thing I can think of related to what's going on in politics and in policy. See you next week. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.